This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I've got another show uh, with uh, former police chief, retired police chief, uh, Nick Metz. Nick was with me a couple weeks ago. We talked about the chief's perspective on canines. And I mentioned in the show that uh, Nick's doing a lot of really good work with officer wellness and um, a lot of different uh, things that he's moved into in his uh, next stage for his career. And uh, joining us today is also Nick's wife, Sarah. So I'm going to have Nick and Sarah kind of talk a little bit about their background and how they ended up getting into this whole field, uh, specializing in first responder wellness and uh, kind of what their titles are and stuff. So uh, without further ado, Nick, uh, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. Thanks so much for having us on the show again. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So a little bit about my background. Um, I've was in 36 years of law enforcement. I spent the bulk of my career, 30 years with the Seattle Police Department, where I uh, went through the ranks and worked a number of different units and uh, then moved into uh, Aurora, Colorado, as the chief for the last five years. And um, officer wellness has always been a passion for me in both agencies. And um, it's something that, uh, you know, I've been working on for quite some time and uh, was uh, fortunate to uh, uh, meet Sarah on three shootings. <laughs> so, <laughs> so romantic. Yeah. Romantic way. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, definitely, obviously, we shared, uh, you know, we shared that same common interest of really wanting to take care of our first responders. Sure. And Sarah, how about you? Can you tell us about your background also? Sure. Uh, so I've been a police and public safety psychologist for the past uh, 12 years, I've worked with responders and their families. Um, I started out kind of my a career working in the corrections. I worked at Arapahoe County Jail and Denver County Jail each for a year. Um, and I decided I, I liked the, the deputies more than I liked the inmates. <laughs> and and uh, so after getting peed on a few times by inmates, <laughs> it seemed like it was time for a switch. So um, I, uh, I've been working uh, with law enforcement and fire and dispatch and kind of starting to move into ER and, and hospital workers now with this current crisis. Sure. So kind of across the board working with responders and, and uh, code for counseling was kind of something that Nick and I talked about early on in our relationship was, was what that might look like and, and how we would like to kind of see the new innovative of proactive approach to mental health with res- responders. So Code 4 Counseling opened in 2017, and we've been running with that ever since. And you guys have a website. It's, is it Code4Counseling.com, I assume? Or? That's it. Yep. So in your practice here in Denver, um, you have quite a few different professionals in your practice, right? We do. So we currently have nine clinicians. One of our clinicians is, is now an in-house psychologist for uh, Thornton PD. They wanted to try that model. So one of our folks is now in-house starting that program with them. And the rest of our clinicians are at our new Lone Tree office. We opened that new office in October of last year. So we've got a lot of clinical offices. We've got a conference room to do trainings in. Um, It's a nice big space for us. So we've been enjoying making that our new home. Outstanding. I've seen the office and it's a a very nice setup. I know you guys are, are 
you know, been around for a little bit, but I think bigger things are on the horizon. It seems like you guys are growing quite a bit. So congratulations. We're excited, yeah. yeah Thank you. So um, Nick, you and I talked uh, about, you know, I've been a cop for a little over 30 years now. And so attitudes have obviously changed when it comes to, to mental health and seeking help and all that. I think everybody knows that. And I think uh, mm-hmm. when we talked before, you told me about some pretty bad times that you had to go through in uh, Seattle. And if you can kind of maybe recap those and kind of tell us how you ended up resolving some of them, yeah. at least helping with some of them. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I said, I've always had a passion of working with cops. And the other passion has been making sure that we um, honor our fallen officers and their families the way that they should be. So I um, was a founding member of an organization called Behind the Batch. You might be familiar with Colorado Fallen Heroes here in Colorado. Well, that's kind of an offshoot of what we did up there and in responding to line of duty death incidents and helping agencies and families in the memorial planning and so forth. Um, in 2009, uh, basically from uh, December 31st till the end of the year, uh, we had uh, seven line of duty deaths in eight weeks. Uh, we had a situation in Seattle where one of my officers was ambushed while sitting in his car um, and was shot and killed. Uh, just a couple weeks later, we had the uh, Lakewood Four, which were the four Lakewood officers that were uh, sitting in a coffee shop uh, that were gunned down. Um, just after that, we had two Pierce County deputies that were shot, one of which ended up dying. And then um, shortly after that, we had a Grant County deputy that was uh uh, ran into by a, a speeding suburban uh, that was driven by a drunk woman. And that was a really difficult time. It was a difficult time, not just for me personally, but it was a very difficult time for law enforcement uh, throughout that region. Um, and particularly the first three incidents that I told you about, sure. because all of those were basically ambushes for the most part. And um, cops were being targeted. And this was uh, we saw this as being something that was very difficult on the families, very difficult on the officers. Um, a lot of officers were being pressured by their families to get out of the profession. And and um, we also started to see the residual effects of that those couple months, you know, months, even a couple years later, where we started to see officers having increased um, difficulties with substance issues, uh, domestic violence, um, you name it, just lots sure. of different issues that were sure. happening. And so that's really what kick-started the necessity of really doing a lot more for our first responders and for their families and recognizing that if we don't include families in that mix, in that in getting that, that type of assistance, you know, an officer is simply going to be leaving home incredibly stressed over what may be going on at home and then taking that stress on the street with them when they're out there, which means obviously – they're not going to be as alert to dangers that are out there. It might affect how they uh, interact with people on the streets sure. and so forth. And so um, put a lot of work into both in the Seattle and Aurora and making sure that you know, we created wellness units, programs to make sure that um, our officers and families had access to. And that's where I think, you know, you, when you and I talked about definitely the change I've seen in our agency, I, I'm very proud of the work my agency mm-hmm. has done over the years and in my agency it's never really been a huge stigma but i think over the with the cops it was a stigma back at, at the time i think help's always been available since the days i was in the academy but definitely now it's very very open and if 
if you're having any kind of problem, I think it's pretty easy to self-report, ask for some help, and you know you're not going to lose your job, probably not even lose your position or anything. They'll just try and help you and right. get you back to work, which um, that probably has always been there, but I think the uh, uh, the education to the officers has been really good and the acceptance amongst all the other officers and their peer groups to know that you know we all maybe uh, from time to time need to ask for some help. I think that's changed, obviously, for the better. I've seen a lot of change in kind of along the lines of what you're talking about, Jeff, and, and also what Nick's you know, saying as well. We've seen a lot more kind of informal and formal leaders and agencies stepping forward and sharing their own stories of getting help and what that looked like and the support they got from their agency. And so I think that, that I've seen that really just in the last year or two. Is people really feeling much more safe and comfortable saying, well, yeah, I access psych services or I had this happen. I had to go to rehab for alcohol, whatever yeah. it's looked like. People have kind of really put language to that and talked really openly. And I think that's been huge for each generation in law enforcement, the new recruits all the way up to the, the guys who have 30 plus years on to see those folks stepping forward and talking really openly, like you said, talking openly and then making it OK for other people to do the same thing. It's been really cool to see that shift just really, like I said, in the, in the past couple of years, it's really shifted pretty oh, drastically in the right direction. I agree. And I, I imagine you guys have seen the video that our department put out with a veteran officer. And, um, that one, when I got the assignment to watch another video, I was like, Oh geez, you know, here we go. And when right. I watched, when I watched that officer, it was, it was good enough that I stopped and I, I know him very, very little, even though we've been around a long time that I stopped what I was doing and sent him an email right away. And then I talked, oh, to, cool. I talked to a lot of other officers who said they did the exact same thing that were other maybe um, veteran cops that were like, oh, I don't feel like watching a video. But it, it stopped pretty much everybody I talked to. It stopped them in their tracks. Um, it did. And I actually show that video in every in-service training I do with departments now. I show that video when I do stress management and stress injury training. I show it at every peer support training. It's a fantastic video. He did an amazing job with it. It's really powerful. And I've had a lot of people who said, I don't even know that guy. And that video helped me reach out and get help yeah. also. It's, and so it's for, really cool. For our listeners, this is a veteran officer of my agency that um, he's got nearly 40 years on the job and has been through some some trauma, um, probably, you know, maybe a little bit more than your average officer, but I know other officers who've had, you know, a lot of experiences too. So everybody's, everybody's life is different. And then um, he had uh, some family trauma that hit close to home to me. Um, he had a suicide in the family of uh, one of our other officers. Um, and then, uh, so he basically did a video and just talked about the rehab that he went through, the suicidal thoughts that he had. He went and he did a, a mental health hold at one point. And um, for me, it was very, very powerful because this wasn't, um, you know, like a, a person with no experience. It was a, a very, very experienced cop, a, a cop that, you know, um, is not known for any kind of drama or anything like that. Just a good, average, solid Vet, very veteran officer that lays it out all on the line and i thought it was one of the best um videos i've seen in my career just you know it happened to come from my department but hopefully there's other agencies that are listening to this that if you're one of those cops that have been through some stuff and you think uh, sharing it would help i i would sure encourage you to do it because it's been outstanding for for this area here i think what's been what's really powerful about that video isn't just his story his story obviously is incredibly powerful but what he also does is he talks about the support that uh, the leadership in the department gave 
in making that video and putting that video out there and the leadership and the support that the leadership gave him and going through what he went through and making sure that he, he got what he needed to get healthy. And that helps destigmatize, you know, the need for getting help. And so, you know, you know, just like in my, in, when I was with Aurora, you know, I could walk down the hallway and see, I've told this story a few times. I've seen a couple of people, right. Walk down the hall, you know, pass somebody I hadn't seen for a while say, Hey, how you doing? And they're like, you know, I'm doing better now. I, I, you know, I was really having some struggles. I went to the site department psychologist. I went through rehab. I did this, I did that. And I'm sitting there looking at them going, do you realize you're telling your chief of police? <laughs> and and that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. That is really cool. And they can feel like, you know, I can tell you because I know that the leadership in this agency supports us and wants us healthy. And so I think that message that Barry gives in his video isn't just about to the officers who are may need that help, but also to law enforcement leaders around the area, around the country to say, you know, step up and support the people who are going through, you know, the struggles yeah. that they may be going through. I agree. I agree. And I think uh, maybe in years past, maybe when we talked about the residual effects of our job, I think maybe probably sometimes it was maybe used for an excuse for dumb behavior, but I think now it's probably obviously more acknowledged that this job does take a toll, you know, mm-hmm. on, on all of us at some point. It does. And I think that, again, I think one of the new directions that I've seen is the acknowledgement that the job takes the toll, but I really love a lot of the positive messaging that's coming out as well. It used to be that the conversation was this job takes a toll and it's going to damage you personally and it's going to damage your family and you're going to crawl to the finish line and hate your job and hate your life. And that's what law enforcement is. And that doom and gloom approach did a lot of damage. And I think, again, in, in the last couple of years, we've really seen a change to say, you, yeah, it takes a toll and we need to acknowledge that and respect the toll it takes. It does cost you something. However, it's, it's something that you can absolutely do and love the whole time. You can have a strong relationship. You can have a successful career. You can love life and you can finish your career in a positive headspace. Yes, along the way, you're going to have some psychological stress injuries and you need to work to heal from them. You have to be engaged in your life, but it doesn't have to be something that just accumulates till the end of your career and you're destroyed by the end of it. And and so I think that that's been a big shift that I've seen just in terms of much more of an emphasis on positive messaging and how and giving people help help and hope that they can heal from those injuries. I agree. I remember I remember in the academy, uh, one of the instructors got off course and he looked around the room and he asked everybody, how many of you are in your starter marriage? And it was just kind of... Oh, that drives me yeah, nuts. Yeah, kind of the, the acceptable uh, term at the time. And, right. And even, uh, I think, uh, uh, Nick, you and I talked about one day that, you know, obviously uh, we've both been around for a little bit and I think we're in a little bit better shape than when we... when I remember when guys, when I'd meet them and they had 20 years on the job, and that seemed like forever and they were one foot in the grave already, so... Physically and mentally, I think our profession is uh, is taking care of ourselves a lot better. I think, and and right. obviously, you know, places like what what you uh, guys are putting together is is a huge step forward. So, in a, in the day to day world, can you tell me, Sarah? You know, if an officer in the in the area, you know, needs some services or something, how does that kind of work? I I love the question, and I think that it's something that's important to help people understand what that the process looks like, because what we know about law enforcement is they want to plan and they want to control. And if they don't 
understand it, they don't want to engage in it. They want to make sure they have a handle on it first. So in terms of getting help, a lot of agencies more and more, especially here in the metro area, have psych services, how it works with Code 4, and a lot of the other agencies that provide a similar service. Um, You know, folks can call us directly with Code 4. Every call that comes into Code 4 actually routes first through my cell phone number. Um, So there's not a general answering service. It's not like that message. People kind of think, well, where's my, where's my message going? It's going to me personally. So they call and they say, I'd like to set up an appointment. Um, I, I got, like I said, a staff of nine and we work to figure out who's going to be the best fit for that person. They come in, they sit down and and we kind of get a sense of what's going on with them. Um, And a lot of times officers are, are not really sure what's going on with them. They don't know what's happening but that's okay. You yeah. can seek services and not know what your diagnosis is. Similar to in the physical world, you don't go to the doctor having Googled and WebMD'd yourself and said, this is what my diagnosis is. The doctor doesn't care sure. what you think your diagnosis yeah. is. They just want to know what your symptoms are yeah. and they'll help you from there. Same thing with, with mental health. All we need to know is what are your symptoms? I'm angry all the time. I'm snapping at my family. I'm not sleeping. And I don't know why is a absolutely reasonable place to start we can help you figure out why and we can help you figure out uh, next steps okay so that's really what we're looking for is people who can just kind of put very simple language to what their experience is and then our job is to kind of help them figure out why that might be happening and what they can do about it the other piece that that law enforcement worries about is well is my agency going to know and i can assure you that we would not stay in business if we were going to chiefs or going to command staff and talking about who's coming into our office, um, all any agency gets at the end of a month is a big long bill with dates of service and client codes. And the client code that code four uses is simply the year, the clinician's initials. So for, for my clients, it's 2020 SM 01, 02, 03, and on and on and on. So the, the code has nothing to do with the sure. client. Um, it means something to me in yeah. my books, but it means nothing to the agency. So it's very confidential. Um, and, you know, agencies pay for the service. It's a free service. And so at, at a minimum, I think it's really valuable for folks to go in and get a wellness check every year. Same way you would a physical. It's just go in and kind of get a sense of what's working, what's not. What are some kind of new strategies you could try to make sure you're taking really good care of yourself and your relationship and your family. Um, so that's kind of, you know, in a nutshell, what, what the process looks like. And there's a, there's obviously there's a, there's a legal, um, text to this where you can't divulge anything. If I can no, tell you something, yeah. so if legally you're, you're and again, in that. the same way, yeah, in the same way law enforcement isn't going to, you know, they, they have rules and, and things that they have to file. So do we. Um, And again, we're a thriving business because people trust our reputation and I wouldn't risk that for anything in the world. So it isn't worth it to me to go gossip about somebody's business, um, you know, to risk my business. So, um, and as well as if there's, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's obviously there's parameters of what you would have to report, but you're not going straight to internal affairs for minor things and stuff like that. I, I just say that just to clear the air in case somebody's, Totally agree. Yeah, no, that's edge, important. You know, yep. I'm thinking of why would somebody say no? I would never do that. And those are some of the things and that I think, come to mind. So, to your point, I think one of the areas where people are the most unsure if they can come and talk openly is around the issue of suicide. We we mentioned it earlier in, in the video that that um, 
your agency yeah. produced with, with your officer. And the issue of suicide is one uh, that a lot of folks really struggle with. Well, isn't that something you have to, you have to report? And it's really important for people to understand we do not, as clinicians, have to report suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts is a symptom of a psychological injury. It tells me as a clinician where you're at on kind of the stress continuum. And clearly, if someone's having suicidal thoughts, they're pretty high up on the stress continuum. They're pretty significantly injured. But that just gives me a starting place of, of where they need the most help and support. And, and so it's important for people to recognize people come and they tell me that they've experienced the thought of suicide, feeling overwhelmed, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, not really engaged in life and not necessarily wanting to be here anymore. You're allowed to say that and still be on the job. There's a lot of cops who have had moments and sure. you know seasons of life where they're in that really dark place. But as long as we can help them manage it and work through it. That's not something we report. And I, I, I really hope that your, your folks hear that and, and know that that, that doesn't scare us as clinicians. It doesn't make us think, well, you shouldn't be at work. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a lot of pain and we need to help you get through that. But, you know, we know that cops can function, you know, yeah. in pretty high stress situations, they can function even when they're in high stress situations mentally we just don't want them to have to stay there any longer than they have to. And so those are times to definitely seek help, but don't think that we're going to remove you from work simply because you have those thoughts. If it gets to a higher level and, and the officer says, I can't fight this. I'm, I'm really struggling to behaviorally keep myself from engaging in the behavior. Then of course we're looking at a higher level of care, but the thought itself is a symptom. Sure. And I think it's a, that's an excellent point. Cause I, I don't know, you know, what your percentages are, but I'm I'm going to assume that's not an unusual uh, reason. It's not unusual, to talk right? Oh, I think I, I I think too, Jeff. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about you know what I went through um, in Seattle during that time in 2009, and you know, I had helped plan basically seven funerals, um, and in in a in a two month period. And then a year later, I had a very good friend of mine commit suicide. And, you know, I wasn't suicidal, but I can tell you that there was a time there that I thought, well, if I got hit by a bus, yeah, that'd be okay, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I took that step. You know, I'm, I was one of the ones preaching all the time, go get help, go get help. And I, you know, I went and talked to a counselor uh, back in Seattle, which really helped get me back on track of where I needed to be. Um, and... And realizing that what I was going through was very normal. I was going through a stress injury, as Sarah was talking about. And being able to have somebody who I could trust, you know, was not going to go and spill, you know, my personal stuff to the world and and know that, uh, you know, that the advice that I was getting was sound, you know, really helped get me back on track to where, um, you know, I was able to have a much better outlook of, of where my life was going. And, and I think that's really important to, for folks to understand again. And that again, that really what, what Sarah and I and many others, um, in this business around the country are trying to do is to say is really taking that stigma out of getting that help. That if anything, it's, it shows your courage and it shows the care that you have for you and your family to go get that help, just like you would do if you were dealing with some kind of a physical injury. Sure. 
So I think to kind of bring this full circle for my audience too, I'll tell you my own experience is that, um, you know, as a canine officer, you know, I think you and I joke that we always have a therapy dog with us, which is that there is one thing that helps on the job, but um, that's also a, a position that that you don't get away from. You know, patrol officers to mm-hmm. some some extent, you go to the locker room, hang your stuff up, put on your civilian clothes, go home, maybe, uh, you know, kick back with the family, have dinner, and you can kind of get away from it. But in this position, um, you take your dog home, you drive your, your G-Ride home, park it in the driveway, take the dog in, feed him, and then you've got your your phone with you ready to go answer a call. And most of us, uh, you know, if you've been on patrol canine, you're also part of a tactical team. So you're waiting for a SWAT call or a dog call, or if you're on a, a bomb dog, you know, you're waiting for those types of calls. So it's kind of turns into a 24-hour thing that then in, a, in turn affects the family too, because they've got the the dog there, they've got the car out in the driveway, you're always attached. It's it's harder to turn off when you have, certainly, I'm not saying it's the, it's the best job in the law enforcement, but it's one of those jobs that is harder to get away from, not dissimilar from many other jobs, you know, whether you're a SWAT officer or a detective where you're an on-call or something like that. So mm-hmm. are there some coping mechanisms that you would recommend for people who are, you know, 24 hours a day on call and, and harder to get away from the jobs? And no different than, uh, what you had as a, as a chief, I'm sure administrators, uh, your phone was probably never more than a foot away from you. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'll ask Sarah to chime in there because I'm sure she gets a lot of those kinds of, uh, of, uh, question, same kind of questions. But, you know, I think for me, it's, it's really trying to be able to normalize that time that you're away from, from work. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, that, um, that phone can ring and, you know, someone was asking me the other day, you know, how's retirement? And, and, and I said, you know, seven days of retirement is so much better than a month of vacation <laughs> because when you're on vacation, you're still connected sure. to work. Yep. And, and even if you're not talking to work, you know, that the phone can ring at any moment. You're always wanting to make sure you have that phone close by. And so now, um, you know, but even during that period, I really tried to normalize things by trying to keep the phone in the other room, trying to say, okay, you know, I can't handle, I can't answer every text. Yeah. If it's that important, they're going to call me yeah. and, you know, not feeling like I always had to answer that phone. Um, and also just being able to just, you know, try to do my best to, um, you know, do activities and go do things, um, you know, with Sarah or other friends that, you know, again, just kind of separate myself from the department a little bit sure. but you always feel like you always feel like that umbilical cord is oh, yeah. <laughs> still connected and um and so there's that there's a bit of that stressor there and you know you're bringing your partner home every single day and again it's a it's that therapy dog but i was just thinking man if i had to bring my partner home from patrol when i was in seattle every day, <laughs> <laughs> that, that would not have been a good thing <laughs> These these tend to listen a little better. I've had partners like that. So, <laughs> well, I think dogs are even cleaner than he was. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I've had those partners too. <laughs> yeah, I think along with what Nick is saying, you know, I certainly, you know, while he was chief, and, and even now, we are kind of still always on call. I sure. I I laugh a little bit. Uh, the inside secret to Nick's life here. I'll give you guys an inside scoop. Is his ringtone for Aurora was always. Houston, we have a problem. Um, so Houston, we have a problem. We go off 15 times, you know, gosh, 15 times a day at least. Um, and now he's transferred that ringtone to my mother's ringtone. <laughs> so, 
which cracks me up. And there, he actually has a very good relationship with my mother, but it cracks me up a little bit that his old emergency <laughs> Aurora is now my mother's ringtone. You have so, a problem. <laughs> um, so that's our life. So we still hear it. Um, but I think what's important for people to recognize is, um, you know, when you are on call, when you have those positions in an agency where, where you are pretty much attached, like Nick said, an umbilical cord, uh, the electronic leash, we call it sometimes, um, you are you are more attached, which which simply means you have a higher likelihood of experiencing wear and tear stress injury. It is kind of that constant vigilance and, and that constant attachment to, to work and you aren't able to relax fully. And that's, again, kind of like what you talked about, Jeff, at the, at the start of all of this. Um, it's just a cost of the job. And if people get stuck in the doom and gloom of that and the this is taking a toll, then it's going to take more of a toll. If you simply see it as one of the less ideal parts of the job, but are able to balance that with all of the positives, it's easier to maintain that balance and it's easier to tolerate. But sure. people do need to make sure that they're invested in taking care of themselves when they know that they are at higher likelihood for injury. So like Nick said, that's, you know, making sure you make time for self-care and, and social relationships, spiritual health, and physical health, mental health, all of those different areas. You can still balance that with being on call. It just requires you to be really proactive in your life and actively engaged in taking care of yourself and not assuming that because you're always on call, you can't take care of yourself. That's, that's not the right mindset to have. I and I think one of the things that Sarah and I always talked about too, because both of us were on call. I mean, she would get called out for critical incidents in one of her agencies and things like that was, you know, making sure that we're being present with each other and, you know, knowing that our phones are, you know, again, kind of that, that electronic leash being able to just put them down and again, recognize if it's that big of an emergency, they're going to call. Yeah. And um, if we find the text 10, 15 minutes later, um, it's not the end of the world yeah. and we'll, we'll make the call or we'll get back and things like that. And, um, and then in other words, kind of like trying to, tr trying to treat texts as almost like we do email. We don't sit there and watch our email, um, yeah. you know, constantly. So trying to do the same thing with, with texts. Sure. And I think um, one of the dangers, if I may, I think it kind of can sneak up on you a little bit because I think um, like in my job, I've been so fortunate in all the good assignments I've had. I've always had so much job satisfaction that maybe I get, a, you know, I think it's it might be uh, easy for, for some officers. You're so wrapped up in your job and you're so happy with your job that you kind of don't even realize it is taking a bit of a toll and it might be taking a toll right. on home and everything else because you're just... You don't have, you know, some cops are just disgruntled and it it shows a lot easier. So I would imagine some people uh, probably don't even realize that there's some damage going on because they're they're generally happy in what they're doing. They just aren't even taking time to think about some of the stuff they've had to do. And I think that that's an important point. And I think really what it requires people to do as we continue to educate and, and get people into a healthier place is to recognize You've got to do that self-check. You've got to do a self-assessment from time to time. Even if you are happy at work, that's fantastic. But that doesn't mean that you didn't sprain an ankle or get a bruise or, yeah. you know, get a cut that day. It, that's just part of it. And you've got to assess yourself and say, okay, are there any injuries that need to be taken care of? Even if I am, you know, globally overall happy, 
just checking in and making sure that you're aware of and noticing small injuries so that you can take care of them at that level rather than wait for them to be, you know, disgusting, infected wounds uh, before you take note of them. Thank you for not saying falling down the stairs. (laughs) Well, that's a whole other, yeah, right? Let's the fact that he can't walk downstairs. That for a bit. I'm good at that. Everybody has everybody has their weaknesses. So, <laughs> so usually I try to keep these shows around 30 minutes, but I want to go over today because um, we're we're recording this at the end of uh, March 2020, and these are it's probably going to end up being the most extraordinary time in in my life, and probably probably everybody who's listening right now. Um, right now, most of the country and the world's going under quarantine for the coronavirus. Um, I've never, never experienced anything like this. And I'm sure probably everybody listening hasn't unless you're 120 years old and went through the last one. So um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about just, um, there's enough resources for maybe everybody else out there. But as a cop, I mean, I, I could tell you, like I think we're used to being kind of in control and having answers and stuff, and nobody has that right now. So that that kind of stresses me a little bit. Um, how, do, how do you... Uh, I'm sure you're getting a lot of calls and how are you responding to the officers right now that are saying, Hey, this is, you know, this is how I feel. And what are you, what are you hearing on the street and, and what are you advising officers on the professional side? We'll start with that. Um, you know, going to work every day and, and what kind of advice would you give to everybody who's listening to this right now that is, is out in the community? It is a really unique time. And I think we're, we're certainly seeing, um, significantly higher levels of stress across the board because people are having to put in extra hours. They are more concerned about just their physical health right now, um, taking those same calls and, and worrying what that, what that might look like for them if they were to get sick. So we are seeing more and more people just being kind of generally concerned about that. And we're still trying to keep them focused on finding that balance. And when we talk about balance, balance is, still acknowledging the fear and the anxiety and sometimes the frustration and anger if, if things aren't being taken care of in their agencies the way they feel like they should be or communication isn't where it needs to be. That Those emotions, those experiences need to be acknowledged. And yet we also need people to turn the other direction and say, what also is going well in your life and what are you grateful for and, and what is this challenging time also teaching you and your families and about resiliency and about tough work and, and putting things in perspective. So it, we, we really are just trying to help people not kind of fall off their paddleboard in life and, and put energy into, into both legs and both sides of their brain and, and make sure that they are recognizing all of their experiences and not kind of getting lost in that negative thinking. I think that's something over time we've seen law enforcement, can get a little stuck in in the negative thinking because it's so ingrained and trained into them to be cynical sure. minded humans because that's what keeps them safe. And so it's not a question of us trying to undo that really solid training. All of you are constantly scanning for negative because negative is where the threat lives. Sure. However, we also need to help people recognize if you're constantly scanning for threat, you're only seeing the negative. You're only seeing the things that aren't going well at work. You're only seeing the things that aren't going well at home. And so even during all of this, you scroll through Facebook and social media, and there's this constant pull of negative, uh, scary, chaotic news. 
it's important to then really proactively say, okay, take a break from that and also scan for the positive. Go yeah. outside on beautiful days and get a little bit of fresh air and be grateful and joyful about the things that are going well. Uh, and that's really what we're trying to help people keep in perspective right now. Yeah. And that's what I turned off the news about two weeks ago and every once in a while I'll watch about two minutes of it. And it's, it's so much hype. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah it's, right. It's all hype. There's no real information and it's uh it's nerve wracking to me just because it makes me mad. I know that their, their job is to get you locked on watching that TV all day and I've turned it off and I'm, I don't think I have any less information than anybody else does, you know, going through this right. crazy time. Well, I was going to say, it's also important that, that, uh, you know, I, I, for a majority of the officers that are out there, they're still going to work. They're, they don't have the luxury of doing the self-quarantine and things like that. So just like our medical professionals who are out there on the front lines, um, so, are our, so are our police officers and our firefighters and EMS. Um, but it's also important that they are mindful of what is happening at home with their families, that the families are you know, probably at home trying to stay quarantined. If they have kids, their kids are pulled out of school um, the kids, you know, can't go run around the neighborhood and go see their friends like they would normally, normally probably would. So everybody's kind of cooped up right now. And it's, you know, it's, it's really easy to, um, start seeing stress in the family over, you know, being cooped up, being together all the time, not having a lot of, of private time, um, and just being able to do the normal thing yeah. that, you know, kids would do on summer vacation, um, and so I think for officers to just be mindful of that, you know, encouraging the families, just as Sarah said, you know, get outside, um, go for a walk in the park. Um, you can still practice, you know, appropriate, you know, social distancing yeah. from other folks and things like that. Uh, but getting out there, um, there's, you know, exercising in the home. Uh, there's plenty of, you know, videos out there on YouTube of, you know, exercises, exercise routines that you can do in the home. You don't need a lot of equipment. But that physical exertion is going to be really important during this time. Um, and, you know, it's it's easy to right now to be in a situation where you're, you know, you're stress eating and, and you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, <laughs> the weight changes in a yeah, lot of folks yeah. <laughs> after this is over. Um, but just trying to find, you know, one of the things that, you know, Sarah did this morning when we when we uh, were getting ready, she says, what's our intent for today? And I was like, looked at her like, what are you talking about? She says, what are we going to do today? What's... What are the things that we're going to do to get us through the day that's going to be interesting and productive rather than just sitting around watching TV on our phones, yeah. looking at the gloom and doom? Um, and, and again, getting away from that social media right now as much as possible sure. uh, is just going to take you down. Yep, for sure. For sure. So really, um, I'm, we don't know how long this is going to last, but I think the advice is really good. You know, basically, it's all the same advice that we talked about in the first half hour is, you know, take care of yourself and you know, we have, there's a lot of positives to our profession. You know, we're not losing our paychecks. We're, you know, we're, right. we're, we're, we aren't going to be stuck in our house. You know, we can actually, to me, it's a positive. I get to go to work, you know, so <laughs> uh, you know, I'm trying to, trying to look at it all the good way, you know, and I mean, if honey, I'd be home with you if I could, but so we'll all get through it together. It's a, it's very, very interesting times. And I'm sure you guys are going to be probably quite busy in the next uh, couple of months, you know, and the residual for this, you know, hopefully uh, is not too bad once, once the, uh, we get over all of this. And I think, you know, in some ways, again, it is a scary time, but I'm trying to stay focused on, it's also exciting to see the resiliency that's coming out and, and, 
that opportunity as a collective. Our species has not been challenged in this way in quite a while. And so as a collective, really recognizing we are, and and law enforcement especially as a culture, is incredibly flexible and adaptable. We know this to be true. They never have just a plan A. They've got plan A through Z and then back to plan one through 20. So they, it's a it's a resilient, adaptive culture, and so you know, really reminding people, you already know these things, you already have these skills. You just simply have to implement them in a more personal way versus keeping it just kind of career focused. Continue to be flexible and adaptable, and plan A, plan B, plan C, and you will get through this. It will be difficult, but this is absolutely within your ability to to manage. Absolutely. That's very good advice. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time today, although we all have a lot of time right now, so (laughs) I appreciate that either way. And it's been really good information, and um, I'll put the show notes, I'll put your guys' contact information and as well as the website on there. I have a feeling that this show probably generated a few questions, so if you have any questions, just email me at jeff at hitsk9.net, jeff at hitsk9.net, or check our website, hitsk9.net, and uh, you can contact me anytime. With some follow-up questions, I'm sure I'll be able to talk Nick and Sarah into jumping back on here and, and talking about this very important topic. So thank you guys very much for uh, taking the time today and sharing all this great information. Thanks for having us, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. If you're looking to make an investment in your canine career, come the HITS 2020. There's no substitute for the real thing. Whether you're a new handler who's looking to learn more about dog training or an experienced trainer who's looking for new training ideas and techniques, come to HITS 2020 where the investment is well worth the return. HITS 2020 will have more classes and more vendors who give away more free raffle gifts and free cash than ever before. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar and is open to police officers and military members. Our experience makes the difference. You've been there and we've been there too.